All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's uh, kind of a chill Sunday morning, I guess, weather-wise. It's kind of, a, you know, after yesterday's beautiful day, I hope everyone at least enjoyed the weather. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, the uh, the weather is appropriate uh, for probably the mood in TFC land today. Uh, a little bit of yeah. a little bit of pathetic fallacy, but I think uh, I think there's uh, there's probably some gray clouds, gray moods over uh, TFC land today. So uh, appropriate. I would agree with you on that. Um... You know, I had to rewatch the game to kind of just take a different look at it before I come with too much negativity. Um, you know, because especially when you're sitting in the South End, um, and again, thanks for everyone for joining us to the Tunnel Club this well this morning, uh, the TFC Live Day After Show. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Levy, and joining me today is co-hosting me with me today. That is, is Tej, Dr. Tej Sahoda. Um, my usual co-host, Michael Newell, is under the weather. COVID hit him, so he's resting up, uh, hopefully getting well for to join us next week. Um, so thanks, everyone, for joining us this, uh, again this somber Sunday morning. Now, with that being said, again, like I said, I rewatched the game. They looked flat from the start. They did not have that hunger they just didn't seem to have that finish in the final third. We're seeing the same issues appear week in, week out now. You're hearing the same complaints from fans when it comes to certain players and their role with the team. You know, you see, like, the two goals. Literally, the last five minutes of the first half, the team just fell asleep because it was a set-piece play that – Cincinnati FC Cincinnati executed perfectly from a corner kick and we conceded early in the first in the second half same thing set piece off of a throw in the team just seemed to be flat it was a direct throw in from the side into the box one pass next you know they beat Bono like this is not like it, the, the defending during those two possessions were horrible um Tej, I don't know what your take was from the game. I know you were watching it from home. Yeah, I uh, I was watching it from home, and you know, once uh, once kind of you uh, and and uh, had mentioned that you would need somebody as a host, I thought, you know what, maybe I'll watch it a second time. So I watch it live, kind of more as uh, you know, in the spur of the moment. And second second watch through, I was like, oh, I guess I'll subject myself to this again uh, a second time. And um, your it. it little bit of like kind of like you know two goals off of set pieces I mean uh that that that's my life as a United fan and so you know that's kind of like the the spur in my saddle and you know and and I know somewhere in that land Jeff is smiling with his 3-1 Arsenal banner hanging and um but exactly that it was it just looked uninspired even the second time like the first time I was more emotional watching it because you know you're not expecting it but now you kind of know like even like just like the the, the air, you know, uh, was it Salcedo? Um, and, yeah, you guys have buried the lead on that on that first goal. Well, of course, we we conceded off a set piece, but I mean Salcedo's uh, uh, boneheaded <laughs> play to concede that corner kick. Right. I, 
I really think is the is 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 the crux of the issue there. I, I, and, absolutely, and, Jeff. I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we can't defend set plays. Uh, two goals, two goals shipped yesterday uh, is pretty proof positive of that. But you know, I agree with you, Sean. First, Sean, uh, I got to tell you, man, you were looking good yesterday. We were up uh, at the top <laughs> of one sixteen. And uh, man, that that anthem jacket—that's the 2016 anthem jacket. I I need one of those. Those are those are fabulous pieces of kit. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, for me, when you say flat, I agree with you. But flat in possession and flat in game plan, I would say. In terms of the goals that we ship, those are individual mistakes. Um, McNaughton, sorry, not McNaughton. Uh, uh, I, I wish it was McNaughton because he probably wouldn't have done that. But O'Neill kind of got found out on both of those set plays. Um, and uh, he wasn't really very effective in terms of defending them. And, and that's why they were, they were so easy for, for Cincy to, to sort of score on. But I mean, what I noticed most of all was I could not figure out TFC's shape, especially in the first half in attack. Uh, Petrasso was unmarked so often uh, on that left side, uh, making attacks and nobody was playing a ball to him. Yeah. I felt like I was watching Richie Larea at Nottingham Forest, at Nottingham Forest uh, getting his garbage time minutes because he was he was alone out there and there were opportunities on runs where they could have done nice little overloads and he was just he was a passenger yeah. and uh, that bothered me because it's it that that wasn't happening that has I've not seen that before right uh, you know that kind of um, like almost inability to adapt to the way the game seems to like TFC <laughs> seem to be dead set on bringing it up the middle to the, to their own detriment. And I wonder if you guys agree with me on that. Well, Sean, what, go ahead. Well, yeah, I found go first, I guess. Well, what I was going to say with, when it comes to them attacking, bringing it up, I find when they are using the flanks, they're successful in at least getting across into the box. Sure. Uh, a few times, you know, when they, when we were doing that, the problem is the crosses may not have been the best crosses, or nobody was attacking the fly, that into the into the box. Like there was one cross that Petrasso made, literally just went all the way across, and it's like there was no one attacking the net, trying to 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 position themselves in for that cross. I don't, I don't, and that's something that I think that's the quality of the cross, Sean. I think that that's because they were so disconnected, right? If Petrasso gets the ball and he's not in stride and he takes an extra second, that that gums up the whole works, right? Like these are these right. are sort of drilled attacks. So that to me, like when you say flat, I, I agree with you because it seems that everybody was just a step removed from everybody else. And when and when you when you're dealing with a disciplined kind of systems approach that, that Coach Bob puts into place, that manifests in some really wacky ways. And it just and I think that's what we saw. You know, people were just entirely out of step with each other. Uh, except for Jesus, who seems to have no problem scoring on the tiniest of, of opportunities, which is what I love about him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to me, to me, there was just a disconnect. It seemed like everybody was a bit foggy. You know, I, I, saw, I saw something on Twitter uh, asking if the team was all hungover. And to me, that's a pretty apt descriptor. Like, the, it, it, they just weren't sharp at all. Right. I, to see, what I, I saw, Jeff, was a, exactly what you see. And then it's coupled by individual. Like either you have to have a really good system, um, which can, which can then hide individual mistakes when they do occur, yep. or mm-hmm. or you can have absolutely, you know, your Galacticos, uh, yep. you know, style where 
there is no system in play, but there's 11 brilliant players who are going to out, you know, think the other team. And you're right now, Jeff. I think that mm-hmm. we had neither. Uh, you, you make a yeah, great you, point. Yeah, and I don't think you can have both. You can't. You can't have. Game. Yeah, you can't have both occurring where there is no um, such a strong structural formation in place that it'll it'll uh, hide individual flaws. Yeah. Um, and the players look to step off. I'm. I watched, and and this is not a. I, I don't want this to come across as a criticism, but I think this was a little bit of a summary of everyone. Is Jaden Nelson had these moments where it was, you know, training ground. Uh, uh, you know, training pitch brilliance. He's, you could see him, you know, he's, he's gone around those pylons. He's done those little flag yep. drills <laughs> and he does, he does one or two touches. And then it's, there's, he passed it right off to Cincinnati player or he lost the yep. ball because after his individual brilliance, there was no system or formation to take place, nor was there, um, you know, anybody else on the same page as him. And so you saw him just pass it into the, into oblivion or pass it into a Cincinnati player's hands. I counted it about three or four times in the second half and at least three times in the first half where that mm-hmm. happened. And, uh, Jeff, I think the, I think Jesus is uh, – I want this to come across as an agreement. But I think, mm. I think he may be just such a good player that he can make something out of the chaos. Like, I don't think he's like, – even the goals that uh, you know, lead to Jesus, uh, Jesus putting the, uh, the ball in the net, it doesn't seem to occur because for a moment they figured it out. It's like, you're right. He just, for a second, he needs just that space and he can create yeah, something can, out of he nothing. he can feast on scrap. Right. Absolutely. But if you, were look, if you were looking at him going, well, something must be right, right? Look, Jesus has got mm-hmm. seven goals in nine games, so something must be working. I don't necessarily think that it's uh, that, it's that um, enlightening or positive. It's, yeah, no. Pozuelo gets the ball out of chaos into his feet and Jesus makes something out of nothing, and that's, Yep. That's kind of their strategy right now. I don't know if you guys uh, and, see and I'll go. I'll go even further than that, Tej. I don't think the plan at the at the opening before the opening whistle was to make Jaden the star. I think because he hit the ground running and had such energy, the team decided on the pitch that they that he was going to be the fulcrum, right? Just because, and again, maybe it's because they were all dragging their heels. They had a bad day. There was, you know, a, a, a stomach bug going around the training ground. But, but to me, you could almost see those gears working, right? It's like, oh, Jaden wants it. Let's give it to Jaden. And, of course, Jaden's failing at this point, and I think we can all agree, is that when you give him too much of the ball, he doesn't know what to do with it, you know? And, and he, uh, you know, in our, in our Slack chat, I, I think it was Ryan that brought it up, or maybe it was Chris Fung. I always want to give Chris Fung's uh, ideas to somebody else, and he calls me on it all the time now. But, uh, you know... He was, it was one move too many. It was, it was the Soteldo special, right? It was, you beat your guy, you know, and then you beat him again. Well, that's, that's, and, 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 you know, I, again, this is all coming from, from, from hearsay and osmosis now, but what I've learned the longer I cover this sport is that when you're really good at a really young age, um, this is how you play and you develop a lot of bad habits because when you're playing with, guys in your own age group, you know, people, players in your own age group, and you're that much better, um, you're used to being the fulcrum of everything. And you're used to those, to those like uh, high risk sort of, sort of training pitch show off moves, right? But there's no place for that in, a, in, in, at this level, I think. And there's also no place for that in a systems-based approach, such as what we've now inherited with Bob Bradley as the coach. So it's doubly uh, alarming to me to see his team which are, which are supposed to, this is supposed to be drilled out of them, 
make these decisions on the day to sort of go for the individual skill, right? That's a bad habit at this point, I think, in our society. Well, okay. Um, what I'm going to say about that, uh, and before we kind of open this up to hear what our, our, our what everyone thinks about yesterday's game, for the most part, I think, with, with regard to Jaden Nelson, yes. I, th- I think we can all agree yesterday he was just trying too much, mm-hmm. regardless of the fact that no one else really seemed to really want to kind of exactly. support him at times or even show, all right, you know, like, let me play off of him and work with him. It just seemed like... Again, yeah, he was trying too much because it almost he had to. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, I think for what we've noticed this year compared to at least in the past is that Bob's not afraid to pull him back and say, look, you know, you can't like when when we see him kind of doing too much and trying too hard and making more mistakes and if, in fact benefiting the team, he tends to not start the next game. True. Bob will kind of bring him back, <laughs> reel him in. And then you usually see a better Jaden Nelson when he comes back. Where he, he's more focused in his role. So with that, like, so I'm not going to criticize him too much, but I will definitely agree yesterday. Yeah, he, like, it was irritating because it's like you're seeing him, like, you see the, the skill and the beauty he has, but it's like, <laughs> all right, lay it off. Yeah. Stop trying to beat three or four guys. Exactly. Like, it's good, but it's just too much. Right, you're not there yet where you can consistently do that and put the fear of God in the other players. That's not you. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll go one further because you know we're getting. I have to go watch Arsenal lose in a little bit, but uh, we're getting into the the hot take that that uh, wasn't. I didn't think was so hot that I tweeted out last night where I said, Jesus is probably the best out and out striker that TFC's ever had. And of course I've got yeah. I got the the Cooverman stands coming in. And I actually went on YouTube and I watched way too much <laughs> of uh, of Danny Coverman's uh, games. And uh, you know <sighs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> come, well, come back Sean, to you later, Sean. I'll, uh, I'll jump in, Jeff, for until you get thing. But it was funny because I read that tweet and I was like, ooh, this is a Jeff Nesker hot take here. And then <laughs> I sat there for a second. I'm like, um, you know, somebody had put out the stats um, about, you know, goals through nine games. And I'm looking at him going, OK, well, that's that's an impressive start. And, you're, and then I'm st- I was trying to remember, you know, exactly how did we watch Seba score? How did we watch uh, Josie score? And all of a sudden it was like that Dwight Schrute nod. I'm like, yeah, Damn. yeah. you know, Je- it's true. It's Jeff's true. It Jeff's right. Well, like- I mean, because I, I took great pains to, to distinguish between, you know, Josie was not a proper number nine. He's a target no. man. So there was right. much more, there were much more to his game. Really soft feet often would get that would receive the ball with his back to goal and then do some crazy Josie hold up things because he's a beast. Yeah. Um, you know, Defoe and Defoe was brought up often much more of a traditional center forward. Same with Seba. Seba. Seba's best position is as a second striker, not not the leader, the fulcrum of the attack. And that's a very specific skill set. So when I look at, at Jesus, I see a lot of Robert Lewandowski. You know, I see I see the traditional number nine that's that's invisible until they until you're picking the ball out of the back of the net, right? Yeah. You know, his runs are so clever, the way he makes space for himself. And his teammates, when, when he's on, is, is, is just otherworldly. Like, that, that's an elite skill set, and it's a very specific skill set. This is not a guy that's going to do Josie thing, right? He's not receiving the ball uh, outside of the 18 and holding it up while the wingers, you know, brush forward for, for overlaps and stuff like that. That's just not him. But he'll be on the end 
of some of those crosses that don't exactly look like they're going to go anywhere and, 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 and you know, pot a, a bunch of goals for us. Um, I still lost my train of thought, though. But anyway, we can get back to that later. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to throw it out there. So if anyone else wants to uh, pipe in with their opinion or their take on um, what Jeff is saying on if they believe Menace is our best out-and-out strike we've ever had or if there's someone that you think has been a more proven number nine. I think that's a fair assessment. And I, and I think just to be fair to Jeff, too, it's it's thus far, right? It's, uh, yeah, you know, Jesus can, he can fall off the face of the planet and uh, for the second half of the season. Um, but, you know, through 10 games or so, this is about as promising as a number and, nine. And I, and I would even, I would even maintain that it's not, to me, it's not even about production. Like he, he might, he could score no other goals and I might still maintain this attitude. It's just his quality. You know, it's the way he plays the game. It, it's, it's the facets of his game, the intelligence and, and, and just his positioning and, and the way he makes space that to me screams like a proper number nine and, and, you know, uh, uh, Cooperman's. You know, at, at, in this, in in a very, he got on the end of a lot of crosses. He scored a lot of nice headers. He got on the ball, uh, did a lot of like really nice uh, uh, angled shots where he tucked it into the back post on the opposite side. But that's more center forward stuff. That's not proper number nine. You know, finishing these attacks kind of thing. So, so I, I do stand by my assessment that like we've never had a guy that's this much of a of a out and out striker by the dictionary definition of the word sure jeff and i and then it also does give a lot more um excitement um because at the beginning of the season um you know when we were kind of making a list of what holes need to be filled on this team mm-hmm. um i was convinced that uh we were going to need this, the way this team looked like it was coming around and you know insignia was going to attack a little bit more as a left forward, a left wing, yep. uh, you know, an attacking midfield from the left side. Pozuelo was going to have a lot of control uh, through the middle. And it seemed like the obvious answer was we were still going to be short of number nine. I think uh, we've had, you and I have had this discussion with a few other people in the Slack chat as well going, you know, we're still going to be a number nine short. Um, you know, jo- someone's going to have to replace that Josie role. Um, maybe Achara can do it. But I did not expect Jesus to be, this good oh, yeah. at at that skill, which let which which all of a sudden you know, you've already filled that role now, and it gives more excitement because now you already know that that guy's there, and when the attack comes from the Insigne side, um, coupled coupled up with because you're right, Jeff. Right now they like to play everything through the middle on purpose, and it has to touch Pozuelo's hand before anything productive happens. But <laughs> once Insigne comes, that duo attack. Um, you know, having a two-pronged approach to getting that ball to given us because you're right. That's what makes him such a quality player is the best Jesus moments. The ball's on his feet for uh, maybe a second. Yeah. You know, it's it's catch, turn, or he's already usually facing the net and it's just kind of, you know, redirecting the ball. Yeah. And, and when that attack comes from both sides with Insigne and Pozuelo, there's going to be even a lot more to enjoy of Jesus, I think. Yeah, and I think in a roundabout way, you're saying what we all sort of have happened upon. Bob was never going to play a team that needed a hold-up center forward in the Josie Altidore mold. You know, if Bob favors wing play, then he needs a fox in the box like Jesus in there to just get on the end of the quality balls fed to him from the wings, especially from the left, 
And it seems like he's hit the ground running there. So we can salivate at the, at the idea of the quality that he's going to get, the upgrade that he's going to get in terms of service when Lorenzo comes. And, and that's super exciting. Definitely, definitely, I agree. Um, so we have a, a request from Robbie. I'm going to bring him in. Uh, Robbie, you can un unmute yourself. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. Um, I was at the game yesterday, so I've got a take from 121, which is right behind the bench-ish. Um, about Jesus, man, yeah, he's great. I think Jeff's pretty close to the mark. I think time will tell, but I think he's, show he's trending in the, in the direction that'll make Jeff look like a prophet. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, how good is it that Jesus uh, is, is around Peruzza? Because you, you feel like a guy like Peruzza can gain a lot from being around that. And then uh, I think, I mean, just I'll talk on some positives. I think the fight at the end, which took way too long to come, it was really nice to see because you're like, when is this going to happen? Yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm like, I'm going to get beers and I'm like, I'm just going to go get another beer because I'll wait for this. And it finally came. <laughs> um, but I think like what really stood out to me and I think what what I think, you know, because we're focusing on the players, talking about Jaden and Jesus, but I think Bob Bradley missed a mark on this one. I mean, like the strategy from the onset. I know the team came out flat, but it just seems like something was was a miss there. And and I and I don't know what it is, but I think you could see it in Pozuelo. Pozuelo, I don't know if it came in the TV broadcast, but Pozuelo was just eating into Bob all game, and I don't know what it was about, but I think it had to do with organization and something like that. Um, so I think, I think Bob has some work to do. I mean, I think coach Bob definitely can, can improve, but also like, and, and this is my question for you guys and maybe we can go with this is like, how does Bob Bradley plan with all these inconsistent performances? Exactly. You never know what exactly. you're going to get from it. I, I put this on the players, man. I mean, we all saw it. They were dragging their heels that this, this decision, you know, in, inside the first 10, 15 minutes to make Jaden the fulcrum, just because he seemed to have energy that they didn't um that's not on bob you know and 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 paws can 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 yell and and, and pull sebas and kick stanchions and, and run but at the end of the day he's out there executing right bob's a systems guy so at the end of the day if you're not up to the challenge and and, and if you're exhibiting like these issues that that seem so counterintuitive to the systems at play that's on the players, right? There's absolutely no reason that, that Luca Petrasso should have been so isolated in the attack, you know? Um, there's absolutely no reason that, you know, having that many natural wingers, especially, you know, when Achara came on for, uh, for Mavinga, and you're still going up the center, you're still trying to bring it up the gut. You know what I mean? If anything, that was Bob's attempt to make the game wider because on the, on the sidelines, he was seeing what we all saw that there was so much joy to be had on the wings and his team just wasn't doing it. Um, and then, you know, with the sub, they still weren't. So at the end of the day, yeah, obviously the coach has to bear a certain modicum of responsibility because they weren't executing and, and maybe he, he didn't give the right halftime talk, but he's not out there. Like he's not lacing up boots out there. You know what I mean? So, so the blame, I think it's, it's much higher with respect to the players in this <coughs> regard. Yeah. No, Oh, go ahead, Tash. I'll make it quick, Sean. It's just, um, yeah, you know, uh, Robbie, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, it's, it's amazing what you can see when you have certain vantage points. Um, so Absolutely. I did not see that. But what I did see was what I thought was very interesting was um, even after the goal, um, Jesus's goal, Pozuelo immediately goes to him and they're, 
I don't want to use, they're discussing, which I won't say arguing, oh. and they're discussing all the way back. Um, you know, there was a little bit of a VAR check there, so there was like a little brief pause there. And the whole time that's happening, Pozuelo is right in Jesus's ear, um, not like smiling, like pointing. Like, I'm just like, that's interesting. You scored a goal, but obviously Pozuelo saw something in there like that wasn't exact, you know, may have been before. It wasn't maybe about the goal, but maybe he's pointing something out. Um, and then even after there was a, after a goal, there was a brief uh, respite uh, in play, and he does the same thing. He goes right back towards Jesus, and he's still pointing out diagrams in the air. And I'm like, okay, so there's something is amiss. They're not on the same page. That was that was clear as clear as day. Everyone right. wasn't. Uh, and, and it, yeah. So, you know, that's the, kind of the brilliance of Pozuelo and Jesus, even when they're on clearly two separate pages. Uh, you know, a goal comes out of thin air, but Sean, uh, Jeff, the one thing is that I would mm. wonder is, did the players, you know, um, make did the players kind of collectively around him make that decision? Okay, Jaden's going to be the fulcrum, or is it that Jaden just took a little bit too much on it? And I think Sean was alluding to this: is he likes, you know, it's the mm. one touch too many, right? And when you when you have one touch too many, it looks like you have the ball longer than intended. Because I saw a Sorio point at him once too where he kind of ran into space. He, he, there was a brief second, and Jaden continued to beat the guy that he had already beaten, right? He was going for the – you know, it was like watching an yeah, L. That, he's going for right. seconds. Then yeah. there was a gif a couple of weeks ago on Twitter from Elaine St. Maxine where he's just dancing over the ball with nobody within 10 feet of him. And that's <laughs> like, why is Jaden trying to recreate this moment? Like, it's, this is yeah, not what we yeah. need. So, Sean, did you no. – you know, like, uh, I'm just kind of going to throw that back to you, like, what Robbie is pointing, do you think there was a lot of the players weren't on the same thing or was it, does it look to you like a little bit of. We lose Tej. Uh, Tej, you good? I think we lost Tej. I'm going to infer that he said, or, Tej, that, uh, or, or was it the game plan? Uh, well, see, I have to, uh, I have to wonder because okay, the game plan was as usual. You know, three man center back uh, with your wing backs. Um, they had to make an adjustment again, which is becoming more regular. Um, with I, that's something we're, we're going to touch on next. Um, so I think they had a game plan, which is the usual: use the wings. And if you actually watch how the game started, that's how they they were moving it down the flanks. You know, um, you you saw Kosi Thompson, who has been. You know he's been a bright spot for again from from the young kids' perspective. Just his his how he's adapted so quickly, um, being uh, thrown into the, to that role. Um, but he beat his man down the wing. Beautiful cross again. No one was there to finish it in in, in the box, and you saw that that's how we started. But then very quickly. I don't know. Jaden just like like again. We're not. I'm not trying to reiterate this Jaden issue yeah. again. But I don't know if it if again he just felt nobody was was trying to be that aggressive, and he again tro- chose to do it on himself. I don't know if the coach said, you know what, Jaden, you know what, like through a pep talk, I want to see you take a little bit more. Who knows? But there was definitely something was off about that. Um, Robbie, I'm going to put you back into the group. Thanks for your question. That was, you know, really sparked some more conversation for us. Um, but what I do want to bring up quickly is, should we go to a four-man back or continue with this three-man center back, which we seem to be, you know, losing men regularly now within our center backs with Chris going down again? 
or you know, like I said, go to a four-man back where it's a little bit more stable. I think the question's a lot more horrifying than that. I think we've got a whole bunch of left feet in defense, especially at center back. We've got a whole bunch of guys that do the exact same thing. And Shane O'Neill, who needs a partner that isn't as uh, risk, uh, not risk-averse, the opposite of risk-averse as, as Mavinga and Salcedo. Um, it's alarming to me the lack of chemistry between Mavinga and Salcedo when they share the pitch. They seem to want to do the exact same thing and they get in each other's way. Um, and they don't communicate enough. And then when you couple that with, you know, Bones' distribution is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and yesterday it was just tragicomic. Like at this point, just give the ball to the closest opposing player instead of kicking it on restarts because it saves us all the pain of watching you just pass it to, the, to, to an opposing player. Um, those, those will be my final thoughts before I dip out and watch Arsenal lose. But uh, essentially, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's my biggest, my biggest takeaway here, other than the flatness, because that can be excused away. It's just a bad day at the office. Everybody has them. But there are some structural deficiencies in our defense and in our goalkeeping that I find aren't going away and are getting worse. And teams can, can game plan around that. You know what I mean? If you're not afraid of, if you're not at all uh, in fear of the goalkeeper's distribution and you know that about 70 to 80% of the time you're going to get possession back, then you're going to start peppering the net. And then that exacerbates the issue of our center backs getting exposed and our wing backs not necessarily having the best defensive acumen. So you're basically opening up all the channels of attack for our opposition, right? There's no fear there because they can scorch you on the wings and you can isolate the center back. And then maybe, maybe, maybe you, you give up a goal kick, but you're going to get possession back anyway. You know what I mean? So you're just feasting on these chances. And that to me is, is a big problem. Sean, for, for me, the, the yeah. question is answered more. If you go to a three-back system, do you have faith in Michael Bradley being able to cover the gaps uh, like he could, you know, a few years back? Um, because if you, go to a, if you go to a three in the back as opposed to a four, there are going to be more gaps. And tr traditionally, that should be, you know, uh, the player, uh, your defensive midfielder's uh, job to kind of come back and cover them. And I just don't think Michael has those legs to provide that that really deep coverage, which would be uh, necessary uh, if you're going with three in the back. Um, yeah, obviously you'll have some more coverage down the wings because I'm assuming with that three, you're going to like a Schaffelberg and uh, Jaquiel Marshall ready in the wings when they're all healthy again. Um, or, or, you know, maybe there's another formation in there. But I, I think because of what Michael, you know, the little step slower on Michael Bradley, um, and then you're almost wasting Jonathan Osorio because at times yesterday it was a little disconcerting about how deep Jonathan Osorio has to play now, um, at, at, you know, to, to kind of make sure that someone is there for coverage for Michael Bradley. Now, that used to be Marky Delgado's role, which I was perfectly fine with because Marky Delgado didn't offer the same things on offense that Jonathan Osorio did. But I like Osorio to be a little bit more of an attacking player. And when he has to connect further back in to provide coverage alongside Michael Bradley. It's a, it's a little bit of the wrong usage uh, for him, in my opinion. So for what it's worth, my opinion is, is, you know, they, they go to four and then try to put Michael Bradley as just kind of the uh, lone line uh, de defensive midfielder and let Osorio play a little bit further up. So that Pozuelo and Insigne, when he arrives, 
have that third kind of attacking fulcrum to get that ball to uh, Jesus. Well, um, I agree with everything both you said. I think Mike and I have kind of touched on everything, all those topics at some point in the past few tunnel clubs on our um, House of Lakeshore podcast. Um, and now with that being said, I'm going to bring a special guest in who seems to have a little energy to chat with us uh, this morning. So, Michael, come join us. Hey, morning, everybody. Uh, I won't be long. I don't have a ton of energy uh, right now. Um, COVID's got me. But um, just to, first of all, just before I get into my point, Tej, I, I 100% agree on your assessment in regards to to Mark Delgado. Um, I think this team misses him more than uh, yeah. they're willing to admit. I think we miss him more than the fans are willing to admit. I know a lot of fans don't like Marky Delgado. I really never understood why. Uh, I thought he was a key to the midfield in terms of being able to to impose your will on a game and possess the ball and win it back. He was one of the best in the league at that. And, and you can see when watching LA Galaxy games why he was so important to this team. Um, and why LA Galaxy are where they are, though they did lose yesterday. Um, uh, but that wasn't my central point. Uh, my central point in my, you know, we're now what? A, we're nine games into the season now. Um, and I know, again, that's not a lot, but it's starting to give you a sense of what teams generally are, um, you know, from a, from a formation tactics and sort of, just skill perspective, you're, you're starting to see teams shake out to where they most likely will be for the majority of the season. And I think the concern um, for me, and it, it's, it's a bit of a mild one. I'm not going to say it's ringing alarm bells per se, but what I will say is concerning me is the fact that just Toronto FC, especially at home, don't really have control of games. Like they don't control matches and you expect on the road, of course, it's going to be a little bit more chaotic. You are going to play a little bit more um, counterattacking um, on the road. But that's because generally the home team finds ways to control the ball and control the game. And Toronto FC right now just do not do that. And when they do have the ball, they are ponderously slow on it um, when trying to attack teams. And... There was, and yes, Jeff's point about, you know, maybe this was an off day. I, I, I 100% can see that. But to me, it's, it's, this is not new. It's a bit of a trend where when they do get the ball, the ball gets slowed down, um, whether it is with Pozuelo or whether it's with Michael Bradley or sometimes, they, you know, it, it, the young players defer to those veteran players. Um, and what you end up seeing is that, you, you know, you have a lot of possession, um, but not a lot of cut and thrust in this team. And in Cincinnati, and especially in that first half, and for the majority of the matchup until really the goal, you know, they were comfortable in defending TFC. They didn't really create a ton of chances. Um, they didn't really, really put put the Cincinnati defense in any kind of real danger up really up until the goal, right? When they, as I think you guys mentioned, started going wide. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, we have to keep an eye on. I, I know we're sort of, we've got this weird kind of 
we're going to have this first half of the season. Then the reinforcements come and we'll see what the team is at that point. But uh, I do think that it is becoming a bit of a trend where the, the team is just very, very ponderous on the ball. Um, and that's where you then have Jaden trying to beat a guy, beats him, and then tries to pull it back and beat him again, right? Because you don't have a lot of cut and thrust in this team. And some guys don't have confidence to cross the ball in or to try to make a killer pass um, to, to break a team open. Uh, and and that's, that is uh, something that I would be worried about. And it, it's, it comes out in the stats, right? The expected goals are one of the lowest in the league. And it's because we don't put ourselves in those positions. Um, so that's really the only point I wanted to make um, and, and sort of get your thoughts on and get everybody's in the room's thoughts on just, you know, from an attacking perspective, you know, where really do we see this team? You know, put him in as a side for a second, because I think to a certain extent, he might be a bit of an outlier, especially when it comes to the statistical um, analysis of the team. But where offensively really uh, is Toronto FC? I'll leave it there. You can throw me back in the audience, uh, Sean. I, I don't need to say any more outside of that. Uh, you guys are running a great show. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. All right. Thanks again, Mike. Um, well, actually, th- that's, a, that's a good question you have there, Mike, because I actually wanted to touch on that next. And that's kind of secondary scoring, right? We don't have very good secondary scoring or consistent. You know, we've had moments players score outside of Jimenez, but, you know, who is going to help put in the net if for some reason, if he goes down or if he has, if he hits the wall, which may or probably will happen at some point. Um, does that concern you that we're not seeing that? And within the final third, it's like nobody wants to just shoot. Sometimes people were trying to get that perfect pass or that perfect cross in. You know, I was taught as a young kid, when you're in that, when you're in the final third, in and around the 18, shoot the ball. Shoot it. Because you don't know what's going to happen. If a deflection, handball, anything could happen. Shoot the ball. anything yeah you, you know for me that secondary scoring would again come from Jonathan Osorio um I thought I thought that the way this team would be playing that you know I again I didn't expect seven on nine from Jesus but I thought that maybe there's something there um Achara could probably chip in a little bit but I really thought Osorio would have a little bit more offensive production and you know to, to the earlier point I just don't think he's been put in that position um, to, to do that, to, to have that offensive kind of outburst because he's been um, playing along, uh, you know, kind of that double pivot uh, defensive midfielder role with Michael Bradley. So his responsibilities are a lot more. And that's, this is not a criticism of Jonathan Osorio uh, because I just think he's, he's playing just fine um, with what he's been tasked to do. But I don't think I agree with what he's been tasked to do. Um, Sean, I, I, I think that there needs to be you know, maybe that maybe I, I tweeted the day um, the the day Mark Delgado uh, was let go that I you know I knew he wasn't you know the sexiest player he wasn't the player that lit up anything you know you never walked away from a match going well you know that was definitely a Mark Delgado imprint today but I remember tweeting that you know the problem with losing a player like Mark Delgado is that when the rest of the team is kind of built and you're comfortable everywhere else. You'll, be, you'll spend the next two or three seasons looking for a player like Mark Delgado. 
like a guy who can just come in, bring his lunch pail to work, put the hard hat on and just do everything that's tasked of him. Um, you know, win back possession, you know, be a connective tissue between Michael Bradley and the, and the kind of the attacking midfielders or the attacking wingers and just play that role real quietly without a lot of fuss and in a relatively cheap deal. And I think that's what's going to happen now this year is in order to move Osorio further up the pitch, it's going to take having a player alongside Michael Bradley who can do that role. I don't know if that answer is in the locker room. I don't think that one of the uh, the younger players, the kids, um, can necessarily step into that role because it requires a lot of experience, a lot of game reading experience, a lot of um, you know ability to kind of feel and see the game and know when to push, when to fall back. And with a young player, that's a lot of responsibility to put in. So I think the answer is going to have to come to fill that role so that everybody else can kind of, you know, all, all the all – the, pegs are in the wrong hole right now um, for me. And once that gets settled up, then Achara can move more into being kind of the backup for Jesus as opposed to, I thought Achara was a little wasted on the wing yesterday. That's not his natural position. And you're right, Sean, he had the ball a couple of times and the crosses either looked uh, delayed or just, you know, you're, you're asking him to put it, put the ball in the middle a little bit quicker. So I think that's what's going to have to happen is the secondary scoring is going to have to come from Oso, but not until Oso's freed from this role. Well, before I let, I, I let Robbie uh, jump in with his point, could we see a healthy Prizzo come in, allowing Michael to focus more on his defensive role, Prizzo to be that link between the midfield, which will allow Ozo to step up more and not have to come back as much? Because we did see some some moments last year when Prizzo was healthy and he was playing alongside Michael, that he was that link between and he was moving the ball well. And he, he a lot of fans were very impressed with what they were starting to see. Then he went down, and we haven't really seen him since. So I don't know if that could be the the potential, or because I don't see um, Prizzo coming in and replacing Michael Bradley, and that's something we're going to touch on before we uh, with one of the last points, but because again, I, I think they play, a, they don't, he doesn't play that true defensive role, but I think he can be that filler between the moving the ball from, you know, the defensive into uh, the attacking mode. Yeah. Um, I, I know you and Mike have been high on him. Um, you know, the few times I've been on with you um, or, or listen to the spaces, I know both of you have been very high on him. I'm going to defer to your better judgment uh, on Ralph Preso. Um, I, I, you know, I'm just personally speaking, and this is not a, this is not a, a, a dogmatic opinion uh, by all. I just, I don't see him there yet. I think th- there's moments he can fill in it, but I don't think 90 minutes week in and week out, um, you know, an automatic name into the starting 11 alongside. I haven't seen that yet from Preso, but again, this is where you and Mike have, have, have seen him far more watching with TSC too. So I'm going to just, uh, you know, uh, defer to your opinion on that and say that I, I hope that you guys are right. Uh, I hope that's it. Um, it would be great because if the if the answer is inside that locker room already, it saves a lot of headache for them to try to go out and get somebody again in that summer window. Um, that that'd make a huge, uh, you know, boost to it. They can use those money or allocation elsewhere. Right, um, Robbie, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think I think you guys are are right there. I and I hope like Tej that the answer's in the locker room because 
unfortunately Delgado is just a casualty of a, like a disastrous year. And 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 the funny thing is, I think Delgado left because he just he just kind of like was just out of oxygen, you know, with everything that happened in Toronto because he's he's a gem, and that's what we're missing. And you guys are like, where does the secondary scoring come from? And we're looking at like, is it this player? Is it that player? I think the secondary scoring, and you guys are doing a wonderful job framing it. Is it comes and and this is what I think. I think it comes from winning the ball higher up the field with guys like Delgado or, you know, of that ilk. Can Prizzo do it? Let's hope so. Or do they bring in, you know, some international guy that we have no idea about yet, like Jesus, that can get it done. And you start winning the ball up the field and you're catching the team, you know, on their back foot, you know, and and things change. And that's where that secondary, secondary scoring is going to come from, right? Because in Bob's systems-based approach, which you got, which I guess I think Jeff was touching on earlier, um, you know, like that's part of the system putting pressure on you know the team on the opposing team before they get it over that midline and and we're not seeing that like the it's just the ball just walks up the field and then it's just you know let's hope our you know def, def, you know defensive structure which hasn't been impressive holds up so i think that's where it's coming from and and hopefully you know they can get it together and i think that's where you see all the miscommunication and it really shows up i mean i i'm at every home game and but when I'm at the home games, you really see the miscommunication up the field. They're trying to put on this like high press or at least a version of it. You know, it's not Armist ball, but like they're trying to put on this version of it, but they're not quite all on the same page. And they can't take advantage of those opportunities to win the ball back or get that pressure right away. So the other team makes a mistake in their own end. And I, and I think that's where your scoring is going to come from. And I don't know if you guys feel that way, too, but that's where I see like that's the big missing link in Bob's system. I think they're not executing up the field in a defensive way, which will lead to their offensive opportunities growing and getting more secondary scoring. Because what we've got Cozy getting his first goal, who else got his first goal off the header on the cross in New York? Um, Right. Like all these goals are like, it's either a set piece, but we're not seeing like the fruits of what really Bob wants to see. Right. So I think that's where it's going to come from. Robbie, I, I that, those are excellent points. I think it's an excellent point. You know, you you look back at those winning seasons, the you know fifteen through seventeen. Um, then the, you know eighteen was a little bit of a glut, but you know going back into nineteen, where there were goals coming from everywhere. I remember one year, I, I think Justin Morrill was our third leading goal scorer. Right, it was like uh, Josie Seba uh, and then Justin Morrill because because of uh, you know even being a left uh, fullback, he was so high up the pitch because they were constantly creating pressure and they were constantly winning the ball higher up that the defense didn't have to fall all the way back. And so that's when, that's how you get that position where Justin Morrill's already, you know, halfway up the pitch. He doesn't have to come all the way up to, to, to score. Um, you know, uh, Jonathan Osorio had a great year of, of, of putting the ball in the net because the pressure didn't have to come all the way from their own end and build it back up. Um, they were constantly winning the ball, turning it over in, in teams uh, or in the attacking third and, and, and picking it up on it. So you're right. I agree with you there. But I, I, I last year we spent a lot of time um, going. You know, Chris Armis is, you know, the, the Armis press, the, this this full out press. We did not. Ha- we agree, right, Sean? We did not have the player personnel to run that system, and yet Chris Armis insisted on that system. So I think if we were going to criticize Chris Armis a little bit uh, last year, 
it's it's not unfair to just say, okay, what is it that Mike uh, Bob Bradley really wants out of these players? And if he doesn't have the horses to do it, is there option? Is there plan B? Because if there isn't a plan B, and we're continuing to, you know, the the classic, you know, Einstein definition of insanity is we're going to keep doing the same thing and hope that it works and it doesn't. Um, there's a little bit to ask of maybe Bob Bradley. What is this, you know, wonderful systems-based uh, approach that he's implementing that these players don't seem to be picking up? In which case, it's fair to judge and say, okay, the players maybe are just are 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 not, you know, built for it, and some of these players might see their way out, but you're not going to have that much roster turnover again. Um, and there's a lot of kids in there and kids are supposed to be coachable and they should be able to pick up whatever you're trying to do. So I, I'm just wondering, is it, um, is, is, is this team really situ- on the same page about what Bob Bradley's trying to communicate? And if so, it might be just something simple as time. They just need more reps. They just need more time. They just need a few more games. Mike brought up a great point earlier, you know, 10 games in, you usually are what you are. And, and, and that bears out in most leagues. But there is going to be a bit of a second-half approach to this when Crescido and, and Insigne come in, and, uh, when instead some of the kids get a little bit more healthier. Akinola becomes a regular part of the 18. So maybe it's some, maybe we're overthinking it. It's just a simple matter of time will heal this wound, and they'll just have more reps and more practice to do it. But uh, I, I'm curious, Sean, what do you what do you think? Is there – are we – do you see something um, – Incredible. You know, there's, is there an exact, oh, yes, this is a Bob Bradley system. Are, are we seeing that or is it just players are just trying to learn and adapt right now? I think, A, there is a Bob Bradley system, right? We've always, even before he came here, there's always been a Bob Bradley system that, you know, he's implemented wherever he's gone. Um, and within that system, he's, you know, encouraged young players to grow and develop. And and they've, the young guys have seemed to have bought in and, and, and it's it's worked. So I think with with our roster, uh, and we touched on this I think a couple weeks ago uh, on the Tunnel Club when we had um, we were talking about the turn the the roster turn turner over compared to last year and how many players have left versus what we brought in and still what is going to uh, the changes that will will come during the summer window and even at the end of the off season, right? So I think the one of the things we also have to take a step back is, is that this is nowhere near the final product. This is nowhere near the team that will adapt and play fully within the system that Bob Bradley wants to play. And I think once he has the full roster of, of choice of players, he that a can, can do what he needs them to do and can, can provide what he needs them to provide, we will see the fruits of that labor. So for now, I think we do need, yes, I agree with what Mike said, you know what, kind of what you see is what you're going to get for now. And I think we kind of have to live and die with, with that at the moment. There's going to be moments where, you know what, the ball's going to go our way and we're, we're going to, the ball, we're going to play well down the flanks and we're going to score some goals. And there's going to be games where we're not going to be dominant and we're just going to get, you know, have that fight back. Right. Because, again, um, I think it was Robbie that mentioned that, you know, he's been impressed how in the end they still showed fight back Uh, when we're losing to NYCFC. They fought back. You know, we haven't been outside of the one game against the Red Bulls at home. This team has at least shown that they can fight. So there's a lot of there's potential here. I do believe there's potential. So I think we just kind of have to 
live and die with some of the games like we saw yesterday until things, you know, all the right pieces are in place. Now, one more thing before we kind of end this today, and, you know, we see, we've been seeing this a lot, and I, I kind of think there's really, I don't think there's an answer for this either, but we keep seeing people talk about, you know what, Michael Bradley shouldn't start. Michael Bradley shouldn't start. We need to have a different option. And I kind of understand that from a fan perspective that, you know, we're seeing the regression of Michael Bradley, but who's going to start over him? that we currently have on the roster. And that's the question I have for everyone. People keep saying he shouldn't start, but nobody's coming up and saying this player is ready to step in and take over for him. And that's my problem. We don't have anybody to step in and take over for him. Yeah. I, 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 I last week after, you know, I was listening to you guys and had the same kind of thought about there. I'm like, I'm not ready to say it yet. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's a Michael Bradley replacement in uh, on this team. I still think for, even though he's lost a step and which is, you know, I, I think he's better protected having a player alongside him, like Delgado, someone who's a, uh, basically does the same things as him, but can has a little bit more ability to kind of get further up the pitch. Um, Michael Bradley is still going to be a, a, a very useful player and be a very necessary player to try to be also that on-field kind of coach, right? He's an extension of Bob Bradley on the pitch. And I'm not just saying that because that's his son, but he was an extension of Greg Vanny on the pitch. He was an extension of, uh, well, I don't know if anyone understood what Chris Armas was trying to run out there, but uh, I'm sure Bob uh, might try to do his best. But he's an on-field assistant coach, right? And when you are going to be implementing younger players, when you're going to be implementing two more players who don't speak English as their first language, um, and I think Mike has a little bit better understanding of Italian. That's something that, you know, even Jovenko um, had pointed out that it, it was helpful just to get a little bit more instruction sometimes in Italian on the pitch because, um, you know, from uh, his time in Roma, he's, he's picked up a little bit of the language. So that's very helpful um, to have him on the pitch there. I just don't know if he's a automatic 90 minutes every weekend. And then with Wednesday fixtures starting to come in on the summer, um, and the Canadian Championship coming in soon here. Um, I just don't know if he's 90 minutes every week. Um, there, There's going to need to be someone in there who can come in and spell him in the 70th minute when you know you have games in the bag and hopefully we're getting soon to that point where, Sean, to be you know to take this full circle is what you said is, or I think Robbie had mentioned it, do they ever look like they're in control? I, I don't think they do. That time will hopefully come and there will be, be a need where, Michael Bradley's going to need some rest, going to need some spells, because I just don't think he has 90 minutes in him every week. That being said, you're right, Sean, there is no replacement. And as much as, you know, people, you know, all play, you know, play 11 kids, well, that's not going to work. And there isn't somebody who's popped up and, and, and shown that he is a replacement. I know people are very high on Liam Frazier, um, eventually, you know, one day filling that role. But I, I, I think that, that, you know, didn't work out either um, for, for various reasons. And now there isn't a Liam Frazier on, on the roster. So even the heir apparent, uh, what was assumed to be is no longer there. So no, for me, Michael Bradley is still in, uh, in on a winning side. Michael Bradley is still my first choice um, defensive midfielder. I just don't know if he is autom an automatic pencil in every week, like he used to be. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to agree. Like on whether, 
I, whether I like it or not, right now there is no option. So it's going to be him until again we either one of the young kids is surprises us and steps up, or someone else is is added to the roster. Um, TFCNU, um, you got the mic. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer was Liam Fraser until the club ran him out of town on a rail. I mean that <laughs> that that would have been the answer. Um, I don't know why the club gave up on him, frankly. Um, you see what he does for Canada. He's played well in Belgium. I know it's a second division, but he's played well there. Um, I'm not sure why we gave up on him. But, you know, it, I think it comes down to roster construction. I was looking last night. They have 23 first-team players signed right now out of 30. <laughs> like, I know they want to add replacements, and I get that you can manipulate the salary cap a bit, but we went into the season with 23 players. And, yeah, we've got three games this week. It's FC Cincinnati away and Vancouver away. It's a lot of travel, a lot of minutes. Uh, and on turf uh, next weekend in Vancouver, you want you want Michael Bradley to play 270 minutes? Somebody's going to have to play. Or you're just going to run Michael Bradley into the ground. So um, if the team doesn't have any options, that's on the club. Like I think we have to be a little more critical. Even if you think Michael Bradley's the option, I don't think he is because I don't think – this system works with two sixes because he does need help. And I don't think that's the system his father wants to play. Um, but even if you want to want him on the pitch, he's, he can't play 270 minutes in a week anymore, guys. We've seen it. So I don't know. I think it's, it's a, it's a roster failure that Marky Delgado has gone, that Liam Fraser has gone, that we don't have anyone to spell him right now. Yeah, um, those are two players that, you know, like I'm not going to say anything more about uh, Delgado because both um, Tej, you and Mike have, have, have said enough to point out, you know, what we're missing with a player like him. But you're right, Liam, For you know, there's been a lot of people that have said, you know, what happened with Liam Frazier? And I don't know um, because the times when I've noticed where he's gotten some playing time, I've been, at least when he was with TFC, I, I, I saw moments, right? Um, with Canada, we've all seen what he can do when he's been given the opportunity. But the only thing I can say, there was also times where when he was playing for TFC and given that the opportunity uh, to start, you just didn't see the same thing you saw when when he, say, came off the bench, right? So I don't know if there was something that they felt that they just didn't trust in him. I, again, I don't know. None of us really know what happened there. But, you know, when you're – you have to wonder, is, did they make too many roster changes this offseason or let too many guys go too quickly? Knowing that, you're right, we have 23 guys. We got three games in a in an eight-day window with, with, two, with ridiculous travel involved, and you already got guys that are not going to be healthy. Just that's the nature of the game, and you don't have a deep roster, and every week you're signing players to a one-week or it seemed to be a game-by-game contract from TFC2. That just makes you wonder what's you know like what happened in the off season, right? Um, two two points. I I, I won't harp on because uh, you've nailed it. But I look, it's it maybe the wrong opinion, but same thing. When I saw when I saw Liam Frazier um, play for TFC, the days that you know he he did get the start, like I didn't walk away going, oh well, this is a kid who cemented his his spot in. I never got those. Jaquiel Marshall Ruddy uh, vibes from him. I, even Jaden Nelson for for his, you know, over dribbling yesterday. I still walked away being absolutely impressed with what Jaden Nelson's going to be because that's 
that's that's something that can be just you know uh coached uh real quickly say look Jaden you know once you do it you show him video a couple of times you know and take it back to him and I'd rather much rather have that electric uh player with Liam yeah of course he's he's not put in a role where you're just going to electrify anything but it also looked like a guy who was very diminutive very just kind of shrunk into the role rather than you know kind of commanded it uh so I'm I I didn't think that the club made this huge grave error uh when he was let go because when when you do see him on the pitch for Canada during this last little run, I never saw that on the TFC uh, side of things. I know people had hoped that it would be there, but it, I, I didn't see it. For the second part, um, when they let when 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 you knew Justin Morrow was retiring, uh, when you knew that Richie Larea uh, was going to be moving to Europe, they should have done a little bit of a better job to hang on to Oro. Um, Oro Jr. on this team would have solved not a lot, not all the issues, but some issues that are arising is that they don't have any natural wing backs now, right? They're 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 trying to play Ruddy in there. They're trying to play Schaffelberg in there. Oro had the ability to play from the left or the right side, so that one was always a puzzling move. And that goes right up to Sean. What you're saying is, did they let too many players go? I think there was one too many players let go, and for me that was, or or two too many players gone and. One is I wish they had mended with Mark Delgado. I wish there was uh, an attempt there to kind of, you know, bring him back into the fold. But like somebody else said, I think it was may have been Robbie. He looked like he has he was exhausted of being in Toronto. Um, it looked like you know his 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 spell had run dry. I don't know if that was just a contract issue. I don't know if that was just not, um, you know, he he didn't feel welcome or he was tired of being the ire of of you no know, fans at some point uh, and not appreciated for what he brought to the table. But Mark Delgado and Oro Jr. Uh, and this team looks completely different, in my opinion, because all the other pieces are there. And then you're just waiting for Insigne to kind of take, you know, one of the kids' spots uh, uh, until the kids are finished developing. And this team looks completely different. But I thought when you were going to already lose three wingbacks um, to then let go of Oro, uh, I don't know if I agreed with that sale. Yeah, I would definitely agree. The Oro end was super puzzling because that, that even up to now still doesn't make sense why you would have sent him out on loan. Um, Mike's joining us again. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Um, just to uh, TFCNU's point, look, I, I get where people are coming from in regards to uh, the roster construction, but I, I think we said it at the end of last year, Sean, you and I, Tej, you joined us on a, a House on Lakeshore podcast um, session where we talked about the fact that this team needed to rebuild, right? That this team, this this team has direly needed a rebuild since really twenty the end of twenty eighteen, um, but twenty nineteen kind of was the mirage year um, when we got to a cup final and thought we could run it back. And and fair enough, like obviously, um, if it works, we, you know, don't try to fix what's not broken. Um, but uh, the team needed a rebuild. And yeah, it, it, the, the fact that we haven't done it gradually over time meant that it needed to be done sort of in a big way with a new manager in. And, and that's, that's part of the front office learning their lesson with Chris Armas, right? If you're going to bring in a new manager who clearly has a way and a style that they want to play, then you got to get them the players that 
he you know, wants in order to play that style. And we didn't do that last year, right? And and that's part, I mean, obviously, yes, of course, we can all point fingers at Chris Armas and, and how he handled things, and it was not good. But you also have to point serious fingers at both Bill Manning and Ali Curtis in the way that they, uh, in terms of player recruitment, um, in the lack of player recruitment or the lack of, um, moving players on who clearly weren't going to be a part of the future of Toronto FC. So, you know, the, from that perspective, you know, we have to remember that. I think we also have to remember that in this rebuild, because it is a rebuild, right? We're, we're rebuild the planes in the air, but we're, we're trying to construct the plane while it's flying. Um, this is phase one, right? And I think this got brought up on uh, the Toronto Till I Die podcast with Michael Singh, right? Like it's, you know, they, there's a lot more pieces to move. That's why you only have 23 players on the roster right now, is that this club wants to keep some flexibility in how it builds for the future. You know, I said earlier in the year, I don't really think 2022 is the year, right? I think the build is really for 2023. Um, and if you sort of go back in the TFC history, this very much feels like a 2015 kind of season, right? Where, you know, you're competitive in games, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but you're competitive, you're kind of hovering on that sort of edge of a playoff spot. Um, you're about to get a diminutive Italian coming into your team um, and and you're giving up a lot of goals, but you're also finding odd ways to score a lot of goals. So um, the, the, it feels a lot like 2015 where we're going to have this roller coaster of a year where you're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. Um, and, and, you know, having a 23 man roster, I don't think is the worst thing in the world for this club right now, um, especially as you're trying to figure out, you know, you sign all these young players to senior contracts. You got to figure out what they are. Right. And that goes to the Liam Frazier point where, you know, yes, he didn't look, uh, impressive in the opportunities that he had all the time, but he didn't get a lot of them. And you never really found out what you had because you never gave him an extended run in the team. And, and that's really what they're doing now is, is giving these young players an extended run in the team to figure out, do we have a player that can fit into this system going forward, especially once we do make these moves, whatever they are, we know one's coming for sure, probably a second um, in Crescito and then, I would not be surprised if there's maybe even two more moves that we don't even know about that are already locked and loaded uh, for the summer window. Right. So from that perspective, you know, I, I think we have to keep that in mind and look, CPL teams figure out, figure it out with a maximum of 23 players. So, uh, you know, uh, and they've got travel, the same travel issues, if not more. And I know people are going to come at me with like levels and the CPL and it's not the same level, but 23 men on playing 90 minutes of football and having to travel across country in this big country is it's the same, the same idea. So, um, you know, there are, there are things we do need to keep in mind when it comes to this roster build um, that it is phase one. I really don't think you're seeing the full version of this team um, or even sort of the, the beginnings of what this team really is going to be until 2023 when, you know, you kind of have the majority of the core pieces in place. Um, so for 2022, I think it's, you know, kind of enjoy the ride, have these debates, have these conversations for sure. But uh, you, the focus should really be to 
in my two places, in my opinion. One, how are the young players progressing? Are they are they grasping concepts? Are they improving week by week um, and showing that they're senior team footballers? And the second is of the older players, which ones are really going to uh, continue to contribute going forward? And who are the ones that you may need to move on from? Um, and that includes Alejandro Pozuelo, because in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how he fully fits in this team yet. Um, you know, I know he has a connection with Jimenez, but I'm not sure how he really fits yet. And again, Insigne, I think, adds another level to that uh, when he gets here. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and I'll just uh, I'll just end on that. Mike, that was so beautiful. I tagged in just to tell you that it was so beautiful. Also, Arsenal scored a goal, so I'm happy now. But, oh, I was uh, waiting for that, Jeff. <laughs> one, the one thing you, uh, that, can you mute? That... Can somebody mute Jeff? For... <laughs> the one thing that oh, we almost conceded one. The one thing that uh, I will mention is that it's going to be Christmas in TFC land. We have so much allocation money. And don't worry, we're going to spend it. It's just like what Mike is saying. We're taking a far more measured approach in blooding these young guns than we were used to. And uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see, but it's also, it's warts at all. There's going to be some really awkward moments as we put them under the spotlight, unfortunately. And anyway, we're not yeah. at halftime yet, so I'm going to leave again. But Mike, uh, go ahead. So, Sean, if I can just jump in quick, because I, I think Mike makes an excellent point. Um, one, um, yeah, the, the the TFC doesn't ever have a trip like Victoria to Halifax, right? They're, they're not making that. They're not making that. So it's far worse than the CPL, uh, and, I'll, and I'll agree with that. But two, 23 players means that there's still five players who don't ever make the game day roster on the 18. And then there are you know, nine guys who don't ever get a chance to play on a given day because you got 11 plus, you know, if you use all three subs, so you're at 14. So there's enough, there's enough flexibility in there that you can do like a, a, a roster, you know, a, a rotation that if you have two games midweek, you got enough flexibility still with nine players because you're never going to go 11 and 11, right? You don't need 22 full up swabs and make sure that your substitutes are never used. So you're going to swap four to five guys. It's going to be your veterans. You're going to, you know, use your substitutions a little bit early. And Bob Bradley, that's the one thing is he'll sub in the 20th minute. He'll sub in the 45th minute. I, I do like that about him. Um, he's not afraid to use his subs early. So I'm, I'm okay with that. And it, and it's, it's flexibility for when you need it, because I'd much rather have them that flexibility now and try to figure out who's got a spot. And this whole idea of 10 day contracts at TFC two players, um, I, you know, not to belittle TFC in, uh, in two's point, like, Oh, well, you know, that's, kind of a misshapen uh, yeah it, it's not the most ideal scenario if you're a club that's in contention right now if you're a club that's supposed to be settled in you don't want to be sitting there with 10-day contracts but it's also a perfect way to to assess these are like essentially loan trials you know you come up you get a contract you train with the big club you possibly get some game time or you possibly get a run in there um and, and it's like you're kind of like a trial balloon so i'm not i'm not upset with the way they're currently using that and not allocating money or a contract spot to somebody who may not work out long-term. So that's my two cents on that. Um, Mike is always the, the level-headed one here who kind of calms us all down in the group and just lets us know that, you know what, we need to take a step back and not overstress because it's right. You know, we as fans have always wanted to see all these young kids get the right, fair opportunity to grow and develop. 
And we're actually finally seeing that. Like, I mean, we might not see it as much right now every single game. You know, like, you know, the way the season was starting, we had, what, five, six uh, young Canadians or young academy players starting every game. And that has not happened in TFC past. And we're allowing these players to learn and grow. And, you know, a lot of them are taking the reins and running with it. You know, we see how Kosey Thompson's adjusted. We see, you know, Caden Chung stepped in from CPL, hasn't looked at his sort, uh, McNaughton, Petrasso. So we finally are getting what we wanted from the fans. So there's going to be some days where it's not going to be great. We're not going to have beautiful soccer. We're going to struggle. We're going to lose. And that's part of the development that we need to happen in order to see, like Mike said, who's of the young kids are ready for first team football. who are ready to play week in week out by the time next season comes along. So with that being said, I think um, we're going to wrap it up today. Um, I appreciate everyone who uh, joined in uh, and gave their opinion, who had a question, you know, we're going to have again, a lot of ups and downs this season, but there's a long way to go. Oh, Jeff, you're not happy right now. Are you? Um <laughs> Uh, anyways yeah we're gonna have a lot of ups and downs and you know what the future is bright I think we have a lot of 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 things we're gonna a lot of the young kids are gonna step up we're gonna see more come out of the uh, out of the blue um there's roster space so who knows in this uh, in in the summer window who's gonna join Crescito and company um it could be a whole bunch more Italians it could be another Spaniard and I think Mike also uh, brought up a good point, which maybe you and I will touch on on, on the next TFC uh, House of Lake Show podcast. You know, is Pozuelo going to be part of the future? You know, that that's a valid, valid, valid question. Anyways, everyone, I hope you had a good morning and you can go enjoy the rest of your afternoon. It's Sunday. There's going to be some footy on, so make sure you guys catch some CPL or something else. But uh, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, today on the Tunnel Club TFC Live Day After Show. Thank you again. Uh, you know where to reach me uh, right here, Sean Anthony Levy at, or sorry, at Sean Anthony Levy. Uh, my usual co host is at Footy Saves. Uh, you have Dr. Tej. What's your handle again? It's at Botical. There you go. Uh, and of course, you know, you know Je- where to find Jeffrey P. Nesker. Uh, who's probably right now not happy that uh, it's 1-1 just about to go into halftime. Anyways, folks, we'll be back next week. Uh, Actually, we'll be back midweek. We'll see about doing a – it's an away game, so it'll be 30, 35 minutes after uh, the whistle. So join us on Wednesday night and then again next Sunday uh, after the away game in Vancouver. Again, I'm your host, uh, and I appreciate you guys joining in. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for having me.